Welcome to episode two of this mini-series, My Climate Story, a University of Leeds podcast featuring inspiring Leeds alumni who are committed to making the world a better place. My name is Simon Moore. I work at the University of Leeds and for the community project Climate Action Leeds. COP26 has arrived. It's taking place in Glasgow right now. So today we're talking about empowering people take climate action. So let's meet today's guests who will be sharing their climate stories with us. Joining me today is Gemma Hoskins who graduated in environmental science in 2002. Gemma is head of outreach at Greenpeace UK, a movement of people who are passionate about defending the natural world from destruction. Gemma sets the direction of Greenpeace's volunteer program and provides relevant support to their network of approximately 5,000 activists, enabling them to support the organisation's objectives across the UK. Thanks for joining us, Gemma. Hi. I'm also joined by Misha Tandon, who graduated with an MSc in Watershed Management in 2007. Misha is an independent subject expert and the Vice President of the Sustainability and Adaption Planning Foundation in India. They're a group of environmental experts who seek to raise climate awareness across all of Indian society through educational programs and short courses on water and other aspects of climate change. Thanks for being here, Misha. Pleasure being here. So it's great to be talking to alumni based right around the world as well. Misha's talking to us today from Delhi in India. Gemma's in London uh, and I'm up here in lovely, kind of grey today, Yorkshire. So I think we'll just start by getting to know you both. So firstly, Gemma, just tell us a bit about what your job entails. Yeah, sure. Um, So I've been with Greenpeace UK for just over six years um, and I lead a team, the outreach team. Um, and we basically are engaging supporters and, and, and new volunteers um, into, into Greenpeace um, and then inspiring and activating and supporting uh, those members um, to become volunteers with the organisation um, across a few different networks. Um, and so all of those networks are there to create action at a local level um, and to progress um, our campaigns, Greenpeace UK's campaigns. Um, through a variety of different tactics, basically. And I guess your role amongst that is kind of trying to oversee things. Must be, yeah, must be a bit of a, uh, yeah, quite a wild experience, I guess, of of having so many different people that aren't necessarily employees as well. Yeah, I've uh, I've always worked with volunteers. So I've I've worked in the environmental development sector um, basically since uh, graduating uh, from the fantastic Leeds University. Um, and volunteering um, civil society is, is, is an aspect of the charity sector that I've always been really interested in. Um, it might sound a little bit cliched, but uh, the Margaret Mead quote that uh, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has um, is a quote that I read many moons ago and something that, that has always really inspired me um, in my own volunteer uh, career um, and as well as my professional career. Um, I think it really takes people um, to, to make that change 
Um, and so, yeah, I get to work with some of the most amazing volunteers and activists um, who are dedicating huge amounts of their time and energy um, to the fight against uh, uh, climate change. That's great. It's, it's nice to hear that quote read out. I, d I think I've, I've never heard it read. I've only heard it kind of sung quite harmoniously amongst a group of activists usually. <laughs> um, that, that's great. Thanks for that kind of introduction. Um, and, and Misha, do you want to give us a bit of an overview? What, what's your job like? What, it, what is it that, that you do exactly? Sure. Um, I'm an architect, city planner, or environmental planner, really. And I have a degree in uh, catchment management from Leeds University. So I have been working in the urban development sector, planning, uh, you know, the outlines for how the cities should develop, especially focusing on environment, water, and uh, urban poor. So I have uh, been also associated with uh, some uh, international funding agency projects where I have worked specifically on the water sector, doing some on-ground implementation also, and uh, helping cities formulate water sector action plans. And uh, since the last four or five years, I have started on my own. So I do consultancy in the climate change and urban development sectors. And I also have my NGO by the name of Sustainability and Adaptation Planning Foundation. And we do activities to spread awareness on climate change and environment related issues. So uh, we do a lot of, uh, I mean, before the pandemic, we were doing on ground activities. During the pandemic, we shifted to the online mode uh, through webinars, short courses and other things. And now we are again planning to go back uh, and work on the at the grassroots with the communities. That's brilliant, and I, I guess I'm I'm interested, sort of, you know, what what led you to that, and what what motivates you in in your day to day work. I know you sort of started life as a kind of wa water expert through through your degree at Leeds, and obviously water's a, a huge issue, whether it's flooding or or droughts that. You know, we, even in the UK, we see those in the news in, in countries like India and Bangladesh and, and others. So, yeah, tell us a bit about kind of what what inspires you to, to be doing this work. Well, the very fact that India is uh, one of the most vulnerable communities to the impacts of climate change. And you have so many vulnerable communities in the uh, region that are impacted by each of these disasters. So you know, over as you've grown up, you've seen all these things happen and uh, seen people suffer. But, uh, you know, while I was working uh, on projects for some international funding agencies talking about climate change and, uh, you know, working towards uh, developing approaches which are uh, more climate resilient, I found that there is a huge gap between the level of understanding that is there at the grassroots levels and uh, you know the kind of understanding that is there at the government level and also the kind of uh, understanding that is there at the international level so i i really felt the need that something needs to be done at the grassroots level to bridge this gap and uh, you know especially sensitize the youth in the larger metros like Delhi and uh, Mumbai and all, uh, youth are, uh, you know, more exposed to the international affairs and they do have some level of awareness. But 
as you go down to the smaller towns and cities of India's, uh, India and the hinterland, uh, uh, you know, settlements, the level of awareness is really, really negligible. So though they are amongst, uh, you know, as you go down, the, the communities themselves are very, very sustainable. But then, uh, you know, there's a need to uh, sensitize them and make them aware of uh, what climate change can mean for them in the future. So that actually uh, has been a motivation. Um, and Gemma, I'm interested to know what, what kind of has motivated you in your kind of career, really, to to be part of kind of activist movements and, and to be to be driving a, a large organization like Greenpeace. It, what what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning and and you know gets you to work with all that energy to 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 make a difference well i mean as i mentioned before that that i get to work with really incredible people by the staff team um at greenpeace uk and and in fact uh, greenpeace is a, a global organization with offices all over the world um so being able to connect with my peers who were managing volunteers in all those countries that's a a big source of motivation. Um, I was born in Scarborough, um, a small town on the on the east coast, um, and I always loved the sea. Uh, I was obsessed uh, with with everything in 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 the sea. So I didn't have um, I didn't have pop posters on my wall when I was a teenager. I had pictures of fish and whales and dolphins. Um, and, you know, that was sort of paired with um, a trip that I did with a youth group uh, based in Scarborough. Um, and we actually went on a charity mission in 1996 to Romania. I met there a lot of people who didn't have a voice. Um, well, did have a voice, but didn't have a platform. Um, and that was a real source of motivation you know I was only 16 at the time um very formative years and yeah I knew that I had a voice um and I also knew that I had the privilege of, of having a platform in a country where I could use that voice um and yeah I think that's where I set off really on my sort of a lot more sort of socially aware of, of, of issues across the globe, really. And, and that was a real starting point for me. And, and, and the people that I met on that trip are a source of, of daily motivation, actually, um, still all these years later. I'm a little bit older than 16 now, but um, yeah. That, that's really interesting. And I guess what, talk us through kind of the next steps. You, you, went, to, you went to Leeds, you studied environmental science. How did that kind of influence or set up your career or you know how did that how did that help uh, get you to where you yeah. are now um i was lucky enough to be accepted on an environmental science degree at, at leeds which at the time there was only seven universities in the uk that had that course so you know yeah in 1998 when i was applying environmental science was sort of still fairly unheard of and certainly my parents were concerned um that I would, I, what, what job would you get at the end of this, Gemma, was a, a question that I had as I was filling out the application form. So yeah, I was really lucky to get on the course um, at, at Leeds, um, you know, fantastic university. And, and I have to say the course was phenomenal. Um, I had some amazing uh, professors. Um, so Professor John Susan um, and Professor Andy Dougal, um, working in international development and uh, soil science, uh, respectively. Um, and they were both making a really big connection, I think, between the theory 
of environmental science um, and the practice in the, in the real world. And so I think, you know, having amazing and inspiring, knowledgeable lecturers uh, like that, 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 yeah, we're, we're bringing you into the real world, I think was a really big help in terms of a degree that wasn't in isolation. Um, it wasn't like you were learning something in a classroom that had no relevance outside in terms of the world of work. Um, yeah, and I think that that was a really big, uh, really big positive aspect of the degree that I did at Leeds. Yeah, that's great. And I, I mean, it's one of the, the key things we try and do, really, I think, across all degrees is kind of bridge the, well, in, incorporate the, the research that we're doing into the teaching. And, and like you say, so it, it feels exciting as a student because uh, it's not just things out of a textbook. It's like this hasn't got into a textbook yet because <laughs> we haven't yet published it. And it's, you know, it's really on that cutting edge. I'd be interested though, what what sort of careers did you kind of see yourself in? And and also, you know, what, what do your parents think of you working at Greenpeace? <laughs> I mean, I was aiming high at university, you know, uh, I wanted to be at the, in the UN, you know, um, um, and I think that was sort of the, the, the benchmark of, of, of where I wanted to get to when I graduated. I would say that my parents, my family are uh, very proud of the career that I've had over the last 20 years. Uh, my dad would be happy to say that I proved him wrong. Um, but unfortunately, the need for me to be in the climate change sector means that we have climate change. And, you know, ultimately, I'm trying to make myself redundant. Ideally, my job shouldn't be here. Um, so really, I've gone full circle in terms of, you know, spending a lot of time looking for jobs and, 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 and um, being in this career. Ultimately, now what I'm trying to do is make myself redundant, because if, if, I, if my role doesn't need to be here, that means that we, we've won the fight against climate change. Well, thank thanks for sharing that, and yeah, totally, totally see that. It's like you you kind of wish that you hadn't been proved right that this was an area that that would be kind of growing. I guess it it comes on to almost the fact that you know so many jobs now are going to be totally geared, whether it's in kind of renewables or insulating homes or whatever it might be. This it's a kind of growing sector, but there's a sort of sort of downside to that which is you know it's it's a growing sector because it's now become so so kind of ridiculously urgent and and now all consuming of of what it's going to affect uh, misha do you want do you want to tell us a bit about your experience kind of studying at the university of leeds and and i guess why why you chose leeds um and, and how that's helped you in in your career path right so actually, I have always been interested in, uh, you know, mountains and catchments and how the water flows, uh, you know, in the mountains and how, you know, those uh, the urban plains, so to say, are uh, linked to these mountains from where the rivers and uh, the waters are originating. So I was after my uh, degree in environmental planning that I was searching for courses that would answer the questions that I had. And uh, I actually found this very interesting course at Leeds. And uh, that is how my journey began. And I think it's uh, it's actually been a game changer for me because 
my my education has been in architecture and urban development and then i come into a completely different uh, arena of uh, science and water but i would say two incidents at leeds were really you know important for me in how i uh, went through my journey after that uh, one was that when i was uh, actually uh, starting at leeds i was beginning to hear terms related to climate change and global warming in india so that wasn't very very prominent for me you know why i mean find them there's climate change that might be happening but then how does it bother me why should i be interested in it i did not really have that kind of idea because i was new to the i was uh, you know a recent graduate in uh, environmental science uh, environmental planning and i was uh, just curious about this uh, new field that was emerging but um, you know i was having a discussion with the uh dr ravijit gupta at uh, leeds university and he said well climate change is going to impact everyone as a city planner you think of it this way that if it's going to rain more then you'll have to uh, you know structure your drainage networks for the city accordingly and plan them accordingly so that actually you know triggered an entire chain of thoughts on how climate change is actually going to impact my particular discipline and even me as a person so that actually triggered my interest and uh, i went on to do a short course uh, in climate change and uh, after that i also got uh, you know to work in the climate change sector so that was uh, one aspect and the other was uh, dr joe holden at uh, the school of geography he during his presentations he used to talk about how climate change is going to impact water in the future so one of the cases that he also talked about was from the ganga brahmaputra basin in india and you know i had absolutely no idea that the that the snow cover that is feeding these rivers is declining at such a rapid rate and you know there could actually be a future water threat related to uh, water availability in these uh, river basins so that actually also you know got me really thinking into how you know one should uh, go about addressing the issue of water security and linking it to climate change related aspects and you know more than 50% of india's population is dependent on the ganga brahmaputra basin so if something is to happen to that basin that is going to impact everyone almost everyone in india and especially the vulnerable communities so that was a very big learning for me and i guess so as well as the kind of watershed management the city planning you now also do kind of climate sustainability education and, and courses why why do you do that why um what sort of role do you think that has to play in you know help helping people to i guess take action themselves sure so um as i said earlier i found this huge gap between you know the understanding at the local level and the uh, the national and the international level 
So I thought that, uh, you know, somebody needs to start doing something in this area and uh, maybe I should start. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of organizations at the local level in India that work towards environmental issues, but they are they are sector specific and they have uh, narrow, I would say, um, approaches towards addressing this issue, although they play very, very important roles as well. But then there needs to be a uh, holistic approach and overall thinking on how these actions are integrated and how they are going to impact in the future and then how should we prepare for it. India being one of the most vulnerable uh, countries to impacts of climate change and adaptive capacity also is very, very low. So uh, I decided to work with the smaller cities and uh, towns to spread awareness among the youth. Some of them were for the first time hearing about climate change and uh, unfortunately, even, uh, you know, grown-ups in larger cities, they, even people who are heading uh, incubators and accelerators, they are completely oblivious to uh, the need to address the climate change issues. So uh, that, I think, is uh, where I try and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep highlighting the issue and, uh, yeah. I'm actually interested in how do you motivate people because, uh, you know, trying to motivate youngsters is one tough thing. How do you do that? It is a, it is a very tough thing. Um, I think our speaker program, uh, so we've got about 125 Greenpeace speakers. So they're volunteers that are trained. They go into schools and colleges um, and universities. Um, and we've got, we recruited 25 youth speakers as part of that program as well. Um, and so peer to peer education is something that's working very well. Um, you know, they're working in their own networks um, and communicating. Um, but yeah, for sure, it's hard. I don't have uh, a silver bullet for that. Um, perseverance and a lot of patience. <laughs> that's brilliant. And I guess you know one one approach is kind of you know face to face person by person kind of courses and and kind of uh programs and and education and things like that when we look at sort of activist groups and organizations like Greenpeace and others it's it's almost more of a a higher level approach of of kind of thinking we we're not just going to be giving people kind of uh 101 on climate change or sustainability uh, but actually we're going to be doing kind of public actions that that show people how how crucial the issue is and, and that try and raise it up the agenda and and bring it more into the the public and kind of political discussion i presume as head of outreach at greenpeace you see that as kind of really crucial to getting us where where we need to be to to tackle the climate crisis Gemma. Um, I'm interested also Greenpeace is kind of one of the veterans, one of the biggest names out there. Um, I'd be interested to get your take as well on some of the kind of newer groups that have come onto the scene over the last couple of years, groups like Extinction Rebellion um, and the Youth Climate Strikers Fridays for Future. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, as you said, the veteran, uh, we just had our 50 year anniversary uh, in Greenpeace. Um, and yeah, uh, an organisation that has uh, weathered the storm uh, for want of a, a climate related pun. Um, you know, Greenpeace is a direct action organisation. Um, you know, it was built um, in 1971 on a group of, of those thoughtful, committed activists um, that, you know, really helped to sort of kickstart 
um, and environmental movement, um, particularly in, in, in North America. And it's a very large organization, you know, like I said, 44 offices. Um, and that comes with, uh, you know, benefits um, uh, in terms of sort of branding and awareness, um, credibility, um, and a lot of experience. Um, and when we see sort of new movements um, coming through, um, you know, it's very grassroots led, which is which is where movements begin. Um, and there's uh, probably a lot more agility um, at the start of an organisation. So certainly we saw that with Extinction Rebellion there, um, amazing ability to um, to bring in uh, existing activists in the movement as, as well as new people. Um, and certainly they have done uh, a really fantastic job through uh, the different actions that they have taken, some more popular than others. I think the youth strikers have been particularly inspiring. Um, you know, young people are very invested for obvious reasons. It is their future, um, you know, very invested in, in this topic. They've, be, they've been able to take direct action um, calmly, uh, peacefully, um, consistently, you know, these are some words that, uh, and with real integrity, um, you know, uh, being able to speak um, on huge platforms in front of world leaders so succinctly and articulately and with such passion, I think has um, really galvanised the environmental movement, as well as bring lots of new people who were maybe unaware or uninterested in the topic Um it, it, it's really massively helped to, like I say, raise climate, uh, the climate emergency up the agenda. WWF have just done a, a fantastic study that came out this morning uh, that, that, that 97% of the UK population are concerned about the climate emergency, that they are happy to see different taxes, you know, on frequent flyers, different levies um, implemented, you know, 10% um, reduction in, 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 in meat uh, in our diets. Um, you know, you're seeing huge levels of um, of positivity, uh, particularly in the UK population, um, to combat, you know, the climate emergency, to combat climate change. So, um, and in part, that has been really accelerated by um, groups like Extinction Rebellion and uh, and the youth movement, for sure. Brilliant. Well, that's that's really great to hear to hear that uh, that analysis. Um, the The reason we're doing this podcast uh, is is really because of COP26, um, I guess I'd be interested to, we, we know that the climate crisis is, is a shared issue, it's a global issue, and that international collaboration is, is key to, to, to tackling this. Um, Misha, I'd be really interested to hear what your kind of hopes are for COP26, um, what, and, and, and whether you've you know, is is there as much excitement? I know we, we're Glasgow isn't isn't far from where I'm based here in Leeds, and there's a lot of kind of excitement and and buzz about it. Do you get that same sense um, over where you are in Delhi? Do you do you kind of see COP26 as as this an opportunity for for the work that you're doing? Yeah, most definitely. There's a lot of buzz around uh, COP26 here. Also, there are a lot of organizations that are working towards it. Even we are planning to uh, do some events uh, again around that time in India, uh, especially, you know, these we have these uh, carbon-based games that we formulated that we play with the youth. So they turn out quite interesting. Um, <laughs> Even, uh, you know, before pandemic, I was actually planning to be there at the COP26, but uh, 
maybe next time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's quite interesting. And I just hope that uh, this time they're able to finalize the Paris uh, uh, agreement rule book and it's put to implementation because it's high time. Absolutely. And, and yeah, it's obviously it's been delayed a year as well, but it is kind of one of the concerns really, isn't it? That for international collaboration and these really complex negotiations, you need people from around the world. So it's, it's definitely one of the big concerns. I know Greta Thunberg that we were just kind of talking about with the youth strike movement, you know, has, has been raising those concerns actually you know, there's been an unequal rollout of vaccines and access to vaccines across the world. And, and actually, you know, we need to make sure that everyone's in the room and particularly some of the countries that are, you know, going to be most, most well, are most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change need a seat at the table. And uh, and uh, I, I'm sure that that kind of access to the conference itself is, is going to be an ongoing issue in, in the, the weeks running up to it. Gemma, this must be a massive time for, for you at Greenpeace as well with, with COP26 uh, approaching. What are your kind of hopes and, and what are your plans for for being involved? Uh, I think it's, it's easy to sometimes feel a little bit disengaged from these very, very large global conferences because for many years we've seen, um, in the words of Greta Thunberg, um, a lot of blah, blah, blah um, and, and not much action. Um, um, but it does feel like this COP uh, 26 feels a little bit different and 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 that's because of some of the, the the other things that we've been talking about in terms of the external environment in terms of you know the climate emergency disasters that the world is seeing you know flooding um uh, has been happening um in 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 asia um and and certainly in india for for very many years but you know when we see the flooding in germany it's really waking the western world up to the fact that this is 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 on their front door and i and, and I think that, that that's really what we've seen in, in the Western world, you know, the wildfires in America um, for many Western uh, countries. You know, it's been a problem that happens at somebody else's door. And it's a shame that, you know, they the, the leaders of those countries haven't been able to take this more seriously in terms of the impacts um, uh, in the global south where, you know, the, the, the impacts of climate change are happening right now. Um, but certainly that has created a level of urgency that I've not seen in the political sphere um, in the time that I've been doing this. So I feel a lot more optimistic about COP26 um, than I maybe have done other other COPs. Um, and as Misha says, um, you know, Paris was a, a really good development um, in terms of global um, collaboration. Um, you know, what really needs to happen at this COP is that those plans are put into action. Um, lots of talking, lots of agreement and, you know, recognise that 192 countries as part of the, the United Nations, it's tough to get a plan that everybody can get behind. But that plan is there now. Um, and e each individual country has its own individual country plan. It is now time to put that into action and to really accelerate those plans. Um, and so that's what I'm hopeful for, um, that, you know, we can see with, with Joe Biden, um, that there's a lot of climate leadership there, um, making a lot of positive noises. Um, and to a certain extent, Boris Johnson, um, again, we're hearing a lot of positive noises. And as the hosts, um, the UK government do want to be seen to be a leadership in climate. But what really needs to happen is that they need to put their money where their mouth is. 
Um, so rather than talking uh, and, and lots of rhetoric um, around our amazing environmental credibility, what we need to do is we need to see that. So, for example, investing uh, in, a, in, a, in new uh, fossil fuel, um, in, in, in oil off the, the north coast of Scotland, um, Cambo, you know, these are plans that the UK government has which are completely out of line with staying within 1.5. Um, so there's a little bit of a uh, discrepancy between the, the rhetoric and the narrative um, of the UK and global leaders um, and what they're prepared to do um, to make those changes uh, and possibly un be unpopular with their electorate um, in the short term. And it's interesting, isn't it, the dynamic between sort of world leaders who people think oh you know they can they can solve the problem they can they can lead us in the right direction but then on the other hand you've got activists who actually are helping to sort of create the space where the leaders can take those decisions i know organizations like greenpeace extinction rebellion work sort of year round it's not like they set, they say oh COP26 is coming up, now we'll do some activism. It's, you know, it's an, it's an ongoing effort. But what, what sort of extra pressure do you think can be applied? They probably won't be quite in the negotiating rooms, but do you think, do you think there is a, a good sort of role and opportunity for activists around, around COP, whether that's physically or just around the world potentially uh, during, during the negotiations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we've got to remember about politicians is that they work for us. Uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that, um, that we put them in positions of power. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important that leaders see this huge groundswell um, across the world. This isn't just happening in one country or one continent. This is across the world that people want to see climate action, that people are willing um, to see changes in their personal lives um, in order to, to, to deal with the, the biggest issue of our time. You know, we've seen the reports, um, very damning reports, you know, we're, we're talking about a decade, less than a decade, to see uh, carbon emissions dramatically cut so now really is the time. And I think the activist movement um, across the world and particularly in Glasgow is, is really going to be demonstrating that. And I think that's really important for, for world leaders to see. Fabulous. Well, uh, yeah, I look forward to, to seeing what, what emerges as well. And as a final question before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you both what, ad what kind of advice you would give to, say, a new Leeds graduate that they might have been part of some of these these movements and you know they're they're concerned about about the climate and ecological crisis what would your advice be for for moving into the kind of areas of work that that you're both in so misha what what would your advice be to someone well i think everyone is needed you know climate change is not an issue that uh, me and Gemma here can solve or uh, you know just the world leaders can solve or just joe biden can solve it needs every single person to work towards it. And, uh, you know, across disciplines, that is very, very important. There's a very important need to take a holistic approach of this. And, uh, you know, the more sectors that uh, people 
uh, work in and are aware of climate change, the more they can contribute to uh, addressing this uh, huge issue. So whichever discipline you're in, try and bring in the climate angle, understand how people are being impacted especially the vulnerable people, how they're being impacted by the impacts of uh, by climate change in your uh, field, in your discipline, in your uh, geographical area where you're based or where you're working from, and try and address those problems, uh, preferably through your work. If not, then at least in your individual capacity, because we need, we need everyone to join this movement. Thanks, Misha. Uh- Gemma, how would someone follow in your footsteps to to head of outreach at Greenpeace or similar kind of environmental organisation? Um, well, I mean, it's it's probably most important, um, as as Misha said, that you know the creation. Uh, you know, when we think about green jobs, you know, green jobs are, are basically everywhere. Um, you don't need to be working in a in an NGO um, or, or or the charity sector to be able to be contributing to the protection of the planet, but. Um, I'd say for me, sort of volunteering um, in my spare time um, was something that really helped me, um, as well as my degree and the experiences that I got, um, uh, the knowledge and experiences that I got from Leeds. I think volunteering was a really big aspect of um, not only giving me that personal passion, but also getting really grassroots and and hands-on experience um, in the sector. Um, And also to help you to understand, you know, where you want to be and and, and, and what jobs it is exactly that you want you you want to do it allows you to sort of practice a little bit and test a few out um but ultimately you know a lot of dedication um and uh you know trying to get good grades and and i think just soaking it all up um as much as you possibly can you know learning continuously um is a really helpful mindset to have excellent well thanks so much for for the advice there um and i'm afraid that's all we've got time for but I'd just like to end by saying a massive thank you to, to both of you, Gemma and Misha, for sharing your climate stories with us today. Thanks for having us, Simon. Thank you. I'm sure listeners will agree that was a brilliant kind of insight into the world of charities, activism, sustainability, education. Uh, and yeah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you both. This has been episode two of My Climate Story. If you've enjoyed this episode please like and subscribe it's a real big help for us and why not recommend us to a friend i've been simon moore thank you for listening we'll see you next time